Hello, all. It's a, another episode of Cleveland Cleveland Radio here. As always, Zach here, and with me is Clint. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic, buddy. How about you? Ah, doing well as well. Uh, can't complain. Um, tonight's episode, we're the guests, so we don't have a guest. <laughs> uh, we, we've done a couple of these with Matt and I, where we just basically kind of pontificate on a theme or an idea. And uh, we haven't done it yet with Clint and thought this is the time to do it. So um, we're going to basically discuss just some catch-up as to how our seasons are going. Um, I've done quite a bit of herping, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we thought we would cover a topic that we know a lot of you are interested in, which is the whole kind of business marketing side to herpetoculture and, and what it's like to actually have this be your you know source of income and and, and your place of employment and there's no one better to talk about that than mr clint bartley because he's living the dream (laughs) (laughs) something like that right (laughs) yeah uh so i'm gonna basically ask clint a bunch of questions he's gonna ask it and um yeah we're gonna go from there so what's up with your season thus far Oh man, it's been because uh, we actually, we, I guess we got a lot to talk about. It's been weeks now, it's, man. It, it, it's since we've been eight, eight weeks. Six gosh, weeks? yes, yeah, it's it's, it's wild. Um, yeah. so let's see. Uh, kind of ups and downs, man, and it's always like that. You know, you have your highs, you have your lows. Um, we had, I think I'd messaged you, possibly um, some line pines lay eggs. That was mm-hmm. awesome. Until four days later when I looked and they were all bad. So that sucked. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was like, yay. Oh, you know, I mean, kind yep. of thing. Um, we've had several gray bands, uh, you know, localities lay. Um, I, I did experience something that's just unusual for me. So this is my 30th year breeding snakes. And in 30 years, I had only had one female ever lay a clutch of eggs in her water dish. Just one. Mm-hmm. This year, two. Uh. <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah, you know what's going on here? So, yeah. uh, so that was uh, that was different. Um, we had this is going to be outside of colubrids, but again, ups and downs, ups and downs, yeah. right? Uh, we had a boa female that I was looking forward to uh, her litter completely slug out, uh, and then the same day. We had a ball python clutch hatch that, and, and I, I hate beating this because it, yeah. it annoys me when I hear it all the time, but we do have something that I'll uh, end up posting some pictures on once it sheds out, but it's uh, it's a world's first. It's, ah, congrats. Yeah, you know, so it's, yeah. it's a project that, uh, it's not what I wanted out of the project yet, but I knew I'd get some neat stuff along the way, and, and we did get that, so it, it's just funny, you know, it's yep. yeah, something great, something bad, something great, something bad. Uh, but we've got some like uh, het scaleless corns that have come out now. Some cow kings are starting to hatch. Chinese king rats are hatching. Got another uh, clutch of Baird's rats. Nice. So that's cool. Um, I'm also learning rosies, rosy boas, because uh, that was new. And I so we had two rosy boas regurge. And I'm like, what? Where's this coming from? Right? It, it just didn't make sense to me. And I started doing some research on them and I come to find out how if leaving water, you know, the water dish, it's not the humidity. Everybody thinks it's the humidity issue. No, their digestive tracts are so sensitive that if they have water, even within a couple days of a meal, it's they're likely to regurge. 
and I'd never heard that before, but I found it from multiple sources. And so, uh, you know, a little change like that, that we're making, um, it looks like uh, some keepers only offer water once a month when I'm reading. You know, we're probably not going to go that extreme, but uh, just little nuances, you know, like we talk okay. about. It doesn't matter how long you're doing this. You, you always learn more, you know. Um, so that's cool. Uh, I am going to Vivarium Electronics, uh, Reptile Basics. I am heading to their shop next right. week. Um, we are. That's going to be a nine-hour drive one way. Mm-hmm. hauling an enclosed trailer and I'm not good at backing up trailers. So this <laughs> is, yeah. Broke. I can't <laughs> do that to save my life. Yeah. So I'm going to be one of those guys going, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know, every time I have to stop somewhere, but, um, we have our one year anniversary coming up. Um, it's August 12th. Uh, for, so for those listening, they're going to be online specials, August 12th. Um, and we're going to unveil the wall. Uh, basically, uh, cool. we have um, some cages from Varian Electronics that are being custom made for us with our our logo etched in them. I mean, it, it's it's super nice. Um, and so we're going to have everything ready. And then when we close that Friday, we'll actually put the wall out, have them, you know, with animals, lights, everything mm-hmm. ready to go. So when we open on the one year anniversary, people get to come in and, and see the wall, you know, that, yeah, the updates. So. so that's cool. We've got the St. Louis two day show that I'm going to tomorrow. Um, so this Saturday and Sunday will be there. So, I mean, it, it's hectic. It, it's, there's, there's a lot going on, Zach, a yep. lot going on, my man. Well, no, rest, no rest for the wicked. That's none at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> none at all. But now you had some good stuff going on here lately too. Yeah. 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 Um, the most, I don't know. The best thing that's happened is, uh, I have proof that the book exists. So, um, what day was that? Today is Thursday, so I think it was Tuesday. I got home from work, and I got a, a text message from Russ, and I haven't talked with Russ in a while. And it's funny because you know when your phone lights up with a text message, sorry, with a phone call. You didn't text; you called. And I saw him calling, and I knew immediately this is either going to be the best phone call of the summer, <laughs> or this is going to be the worst phone call of the summer because it has to deal has to be about the book. And then I, I, you know, answered and he, I didn't even say hello. He basically was like, the first box is in, we've got them. And I was like, oh my God, they do exist. Like it actually oh, came to so fruition. Cool. And so, um, and he said, I'm putting a softback and a hardback in the box and I'm shipping them out right now. I can't talk because FedEx is going to close. So I'm going. And, and, uh, so that was Tuesday. Today's Thursday, two days shipping. So I had two wonderful prospective grad students that'll be joining my crayfish lab and they were, I, I was basically walking them around and introducing them to school yesterday and today. And I you know, handed them off to another prof and I got the little alert on my, my phone. It was weird. Cause most, most of the time when I get the FedEx alert, it's, you know, run like hell. Cause the box is breathing. And this <laughs> time it was like, run like hell. It's the culmination of two and a half years where the work. And so I ran over, I got the box that came to my office, locked the door. And then I opened it up and the book is actually physically, a million times better in person than I thought it was going to be. Um, and like I was telling you before the show, it was so weird to flip through the thing. Like it exists. But when we were going back and forth and I was looking at all the proofs, you know, all the PDFs are kind of medium, moderate quality. So I never really saw anything when it was like crisp and bright and, you know, the way it ultimately would be. So I thought I had a, a, an understanding of what it would look like, but I was dead wrong. Um, <laughs> 
So the only issue now is we are trying to figure out when we're going to put the thing up for sale. These are kind of the advanced copies, which if you don't understand the world of books, you usually get a handful of copies ahead of time, like a small part of the shipment, just to make sure everything's cool. It appears everything's cool. Um, it looks like no matter what, the books will be available, you know, before or around Tinley and Mass. Uh, but the mere fact that I have the, like, it exists means it will exist for anybody listening that wants a copy of it. So sometime in the next two or three episodes, I'm certain I will be discussing how you get a copy. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I can say that there's a limited print run on the hardback. Um, I don't know the number, but it's significantly fewer hardbacks are printed. And, of course, they will have a higher price point than softbacks. But um, the softbacks, hardbacks, it's just great. The, the weirdest thing I did, and it was weird, but it was, I don't care. Because I <laughs> sat there and I, it was just like, it smells like a new book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I smell the book. And I was like, this is odd. But like, I don't know how, I, don't, I didn't expect that. Um, and not that I have some kind of weird ass fetish or anything, but it was just like, yes, this is real now. So that, that's the best thing that's happened. But um, in the, in the time since we recorded last, um, I've done plenty of traveling with the lab. That's part of the reason why we knocked out those episodes the way we did is that we wanted to have a little bit of a, a, a cushion so that you could get your shop up and running and I could get my field season, you know, kind of done and under control. And so went to Costa Rica, brought a bunch of students down there, found some really cool herbs, um, ran around the jungle. That was cool. Um, also went to, uh, did my second hognose snake trip. Colorado, uh, got to meet up. Uh, I got to meet, um, oh my god, Bob Rock, uh, Rob Stone. There we go. Uh, and we got to go herping with him. That was fantastic, uh, for a day. And, um, I can say I've done a lot of herping, uh, and there's just something really cool about walking around those high elevation, you know, shrubby prairies. And the main way you find the animals is you're like out in it. And, you know, I grew up in West Virginia. We all grow up hunting. You know, it's it's just completely different herping than any herping I've ever done because, you know, you're not in an air-conditioned car driving around on a road waiting for the snake to end up in the middle of the blacktop where you, you know, park and run and grab it. You're not targeting tin piles where it's kind of go to the barn and then flip. Like, this is you are out in the habitat, and you have to stalk those bastards. Like, it is not... Like any herping I've ever done, and I, I can say that I am absolutely addicted to it. So we had a great trip. We got 13 um, Plains hogs over the course of uh, six days. And I kind of figured the secret out for hognose with herping is you just have to bring, you have to have a small army doing it all at once. It's like multiple eyes looking in the same habitat, you'll get a hog. If you're just there by yourself, you know, you're relying on one person. But I had a my my crew was one two three three graduate students me and another professor and and we basically you know we herped we we also got bull snakes uh, i saw one of the coolest things ever there was a bull the first bull snake i stumbled onto was taking its head and and doing things i'd read about my whole life it was basically shoving its head down in the pocket go for burrows and you know flicking its tongue like crazy and it pull its head out, go to the next burrow. And it was totally trying to figure out if there was a pocket gopher in there. Um, and 
I actually want to talk about this. this is actually really funny. This is when you know that you were both a nerd <laughs> and you were in like herping bliss. So that snake I'm talking about, um, I caught it and I was away from everybody. I was like a solid half mile away from the closest student. We hadn't seen a bull snake yet. And it wasn't acting like a bull snake. It wasn't doing the hissing and the huffing and all, all that. It, it, it basically like accepted its fate and was just a cool snake. So I thought, screw it. I'm just going to walk around and hold this damn bull snake until I can, you know, beeline it back to the students. I'll show them the bull snake. And I'll take it back. And uh, I was walking. And after about 20 minutes, um, I know you know what I'm talking about. It, it, this is, I've had this happen when I'm herping. I've had this happen when I'm hunting. You just kind of get into the zone and you just know, just keep doing what you're doing and it's going to pan out. And mm -hmm. it is, I don't, you can't explain it. You, you just like, you're smelling different. You're hearing different. You're seeing different. Everything's different. And here I am holding this bull snake and uh, I'm walking. I hadn't found my, my hog yet. The students had found plenty, but I was kind of feeling like a loser because I hadn't found one yet. <laughs> and uh, I walked next to this barbed wire fence and just, the universe just said, look to the left. And I looked to the left, and about four feet on the other side of the fence was about a 13-inch male hognose snake, completely stretched out. And I did that like, <laughs> like, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and I had a hook, and I thought, shit, how, this is a barbed wire fence, like, what am I going to do? And so I reached over the fence, and I pinned the hognose snake, and I, I can't explain this, and you can't see what I did, but I rolled the hook hooked it, and then catapulted it over the damn fence. Like, <laughs> shot it into the prayer. <laughs> like, and as it's flying through the air, I'm like running after it, because I knew like if it hit the sagebrush, it's gone. I'm not going to get it. And, and, and sure enough, it landed. And it turns out that pinning a hog and catapulting it through the air will absolutely make it do its death display. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like, we, we only had, I think, two animals do the whole thanatosis thing um but uh but that one definitely did it and it kept doing it and kept doing it but we got really good pictures of that guy yeah. but when i when i picked it up it did the death display and so i've got a bull snake in my armpit i've got <laughs> snake hook in my left hand and i've got this plain hognose snake in my other hand and it regurged up a spade foot toad which made it even better because now we got <laughs> and i was just like this is paradise on earth like there's nothing better I, I could not be living a better life right now than this moment right now. So, yeah, it was I, I would have just had loved to have had you on video with all of that right there. And the only word you say is ladies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it right there. <laughs> yeah. No, I was, oh. I, was um, I might've been yelling some four letter words that rhyme with truck. Like I was, <laughs> but it, they were happy words. They weren't that. So, That's yeah. awesome. Man. And then I, I, I got a bunch more, but that was it, that, for that to be like that was my hognose snake moment, one hundred percent. That's so cool. <laughs> you know, first, just a quick jump back. You know, to tell the audience, I got to see the covers uh, of these yeah. books. I'm so stoked! Cannot wait. Uh, mm -hmm. I want one of each, hard and soft. Yeah. Uh, I, I take great pride in my my reptile library. So uh, mm -hmm. anytime I can get a hold of a hardback, that just gets put uh put on the shelf aside and i read the soft covers so yeah there um, you go love it great job zach you know again i bow down man Thank uh, you, fantastic uh but it just th this is nowhere near as funny as as the one that you just had i just thought it, it it made me chuckle so i mentioned before that i have 10 right behind the shop 
Yeah. Uh, we, we have like a little drainage ditch back there. Mm-hmm. And so all the grass, and we have a pretty significant yard back there. Um, so the grass is cut except right there at the drainage ditch. You know, it gets pretty yeah. uh, high. And there's um, like crawfish. I, I got yep. another story to tell you too. Uh, I got little crawfish holes and whatnot. And so every time I walk back there, that's when I turn into the kid. I, I've got to yep. go look under every single tin just to see what's there, right? And uh, so yesterday I doing exactly that. And I lift up 10. I'm always looking for Eastern black Kings. That's what I find back there. And and they're my favorite here. I absolutely Mm -hmm. love them. So, and I I found a gravid female, you know, so now I'm like, just, I keep watching for when (laughs) I start seeing babies. Right. Um, but I lifted up uh, a piece of 10 and this just goes to show how well snakes can hide and they can be right there and you not see them. I lifted up a piece of tin and a king snake shot between my legs, not out from under the tin, but from behind me into <laughs> where I just lifted the tin. Shot right in between my legs and then right straight down a uh, crawfish hole. It was, I mean, it, it was really neat to just, I'm like, how did I not see that, you know, as I stepped over it? So uh, it was pretty cool, pretty neat, man. Um, I also, I had to pull up a, just talking about crawfish, had to pull up a picture of you. My son was watching some YouTuber, I, I forget the guy's name. He, he's one that goes and like gets bit and stung by everything and he wants to show yeah, that. Yes, him, him, yep. yes. And he did an episode and he says he's going to go look for this blue crawfish. Yeah. And then he said he's in West Virginia and I'm like, I, I know the crawfish guy, yep. you know, especially in West Virginia, you know, and he says, well, and there's, you know, a herpetologist. And I'm like, I'm sitting here, Stokes in here thinking, come on, Zach, come on. you got to be in this episode, man. Um, but nonetheless, you know, whenever they show him finally catching one, I uh, turned to my son and I pulled up your Facebook and I, cause I just knew I'm like, hey, there's going to be a picture of Zach with one of these crawfish. They're, they're, I know it. <laughs> and sure enough, yeah. found it. Like there it is. See, mm-hmm. see, this is my friend, and there's that blue one right there. See, so. yep, yep. So I, I talked to the guy that helped him go up into the mountains to find those. But I, there's actually a really funny backstory behind that episode, and this has nothing to do with colubrids and everything. <laughs> Sorry, guys, tangent episode here, right? It's worth 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 telling. So a lot of people don't know, like when you name a new species, there's rules, and one of the things is. When you present a Latin name, uh, a binomial, um, the first time the binomial is like released to the universe, it has to be released in a, in a journal and be peer reviewed for it to actually count. Okay, so if like there have been scientists that have screwed up and in a Facebook post said this is the new species of whatever I'm going to call it, you know, Cambaris, whatever kiss. Um, and, and they, they post that, well, that, that counts as technically it being published in print. Mm. And when that happens, because it was a peer reviewed, it can, well, there's some people that say it counts. There's other people that say it doesn't count mm-hmm. in the world of crayfish biology. I, let me clarify it. There's been a little bit of argument that that might count. Okay. So if you publish that name, uh, you, you, you end up, it doesn't work, and it becomes what we call a nomum nutum, which in Latin literally just means a no name. Like, you can't use that name. That name is gone forever, all right? <laughs> and so I was talking to the guy that helped Peterson or Coyote go up and find Coyote, it. that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were, and, and Tim was like, isn't there a crayfish up here? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to name it. So I actually named that blue one, okay? And then Tim asked me, 
but aren't they going to name a crayfish after you? And isn't it blue? And I was like, yeah, we're going to name, they're going to name one after me. My students are working on it, but it lives, it lives down in Charleston and that thing lives up in our mountains. And so this has a tie back to herpetology. So, uh, or, so, so fast forward, that's all I did. I talked to Tim like in January. And so I fast forward to May or June of whatever year that YouTube clip came out. And I went up to Slippery Rock, Pennsylvania, and there was a state park up there, and they wanted me to look at their burrowing crayfish because the burrowing crayfish that live at this particular environmental center, they create burrows that then Massasauga rattlesnakes use. Mm. So I was like, this is my two universes merging into one. Yes, yeah. And they, and they wanted me to go and basically study the crayfish biology because they'd studied the snakes forever, but they never really understood the relationship between the two. And so I went up to look for the, the, the crawdads. I'm looking for the, you know, I found the burrowers. And I just happened to pick a day when the um, herpetologists for the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy were out doing a Massasauga survey. And I had never seen an Eastern Massasauga. It was really funny because I'm up here doing crayfish work as the crayfish guy. And I think I spent about two minutes looking at crayfish stuff. <laughs> and then I was like, can I help them find a snake? And they were like, are, are you done? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm done. It's easy. Like, let's go look for the snake. So then... <laughs> You know, so I ditch. And so sure enough, I got my life for Massasauga, you know, and then they got another one. And so I'm on cloud nine and I was supposed to meet my students that were doing research on crayfish and creeks up in that direction because I kind of linked everything together. Mm -hmm. So I went to this little brewery in Slippery Rock and Tim, the guy that I was working with, he emails me and says, hey, the video's out on the blue crayfish. And I thought, okay, I'll watch this. So I had ordered... I'm sitting by myself at the bar. It's lunchtime. Everybody's there. And I'm watching the video. And I'm like, okay, 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 okay. And at some point in that video, it puts up the crayfish. And then it has Camberus lofmani underneath it. <laughs> and I saw that. And I went like, it was one of those moments in time where everything around you just went away. And I yelled at the top of my lungs, what in the actual blank? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Like, I was like, and then I hung up and then I proceeded to go. And I actually called Coyote Peterson. I was like, you got to take that video down now. And then he was like, well, we can't because we'll lose our likes. I was like, I don't care about your likes. That paper is not published. Like, this is not good. Um, and then sure enough, that then led into three months of conversation in my research committee or community because they wouldn't pull the video down because they would lose the likes, which then leads to the money that leads to everything else. Like, does this mean this is a gnomum newtum? And fortunately, the ultimate conclusion was like, YouTube, it, it, this is insane. Like, it, it was a bunch of PhDs trying to figure out if YouTube counted as a scientific journal. Just think about that for a second. <sighs> is that a publication? And so ultimately, we were like, no, that's popular press. And so we ultimately got to have Canberra flow from that. But when I first saw that video, I lost my mind. Like, people were looking at me like I was a serial killer. Like, I was – and I'm not small. I'm, like, solid 250, 6'2". So when I'm <laughs> raging, people notice. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but now I, I laugh about it. But at the time, I was like, holy crap. Oh, I can imagine, man. Wow. Mm -hmm. Didn't know I was going to uh, strike a chord. No, no, no. It's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. But, yeah. Oh, so, um, 
And then the only other thing that's worth noting is um, just a little bit more herping. So um, my fa- I was in my family vacation. Uh, it is the week of the 13th of July. So I was at Universal Studios in Orlando on the 4th of July, which was, I can say that I was in Florida on the hottest day in the past 10,000 years, <laughs> which I don't like to be hot. <laughs> so that was, that was interesting. Um, but fortunately, my wife and my, my son and I, we did one day at the um, that Universal. Then the rest of our vacation was just swimming with some kind of animal because it was so damn hot. And uh, we stayed in Homestead, and we're going down into the Keys. And uh, it was just bizarre. I, I, I was My son said he wanted to catch some lizards, and I thought we were going to catch gnolls. And we're walking around, we're going to be a gnoll. And all of a sudden, this, like, it was the weirdest, dog cat raccoon thing i've ever seen in my life charge at me and then i realized it was a freaking tegu like, oh. <laughs> like like lizards don't make that kind of this thing was like four and a half feet long it was a beast so i basically was like okay colin we're up leveling we're not yeah. gonna we're gonna get a tegu and we all <laughs> And running around on blacktop, trying to run, trying to wear down a tegu when the like heat indexes of 120 is a really good way to die in your mid 40s. But I pulled it off, so we, we got a little one, um, about a two footer. And then that night we went out to go road cruising, and uh, the only thing we were getting on the roads were cottonmouth. It was just which made my mm-hmm. wife so freaking happy. I can't even remotely explain to you how thrilled she was that like her baby child and her idiot husband are launching out of the car <laughs> at pit vipers that are like hot. That's the other, th- like they were, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like 90 degrees an hour after dark. And that's how hot it was down there. So we did that, but we, we went out and we, we, um, we herped in um big Cypress and we bumped into a herper that was just not a, not happy about anything. Like, if you're herping guys and there's a guy and his kid and they just roll up and want to see what you caught, for Christ's sake, don't get bent out of shape. Just show it off. So, you know, that kind of put a down, downer on things. And it was one of those moments where you were like, child, please go back to the car while I <laughs> <laughs> The adults are going to talk now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, and we did. <laughs> We, we went and we, we, we herped and we basically caught mouth, caught mouth, caught mouth. And so we're leaving and um, it was like 1130. We, we got off the dirt road, got on the blacktop and there was this snake going across the road. And I thought, man, man, that is the prettiest green water snake on earth. Nothing in my brain registered that there was even the slightest possibility of us getting a Florida king. And as anybody that listens to this knows, that like next to false water cobras, Florida Kings are my jam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Colin got out and I was like, put eyes on it, but don't touch it. Cause we didn't know what it was. And then I ran up and grabbed it. And then I realized like, Holy, Holy crap. This is like, this is a King snake. And then a whole bunch of words that will not be repeated were expelled from my mouth. And if anybody like heard a skunk ape um, in big Cypress, <laughs> it wasn't a skunk ape. Like last Friday, <laughs> that's a I, moment. <laughs> yeah, I was jumping up and down. It was beautiful, and 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 by some people's determination, you could have called it a Brooks King. Um, I'm not going to call it a Brooks King. I'm just going to call it a Floridana. But uh, but no, 
but it was awesome to be able to do that with Colin. And, and it's the first time I've seen Colin, like, really get it with the herping. Like, it, it was pretty damn cool. Like, he was just as excited as me. And, and the best thing he said was, it's so cool to see, the, to see the snake that I spend every Sunday cleaning. And I was like, all right. You get he gets it. it. He gets it. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah, so, you know, that was pretty awesome. But I That is really cool. So, that's awesome, man. Yeah, but that's basically my up. Oh, and I just have king snake after king snake after king snake hatching. Um, right now, if anybody listening is at all interested in a false water cobra, um, please hit me up. I've got some. I'm going to be sending some to Clint. Yes, uh, sir. Yep. Uh, we we they double clutched on me. They always do it, but um, I'm sitting at about 95 false water cobras right now. So. Yeah, that's a lot of false water cobras. Yeah. Uh, 40 eggs are in the incubator, and then 52 eggs attached. We've got to use them in an experiment for a graduate student that we're doing. It's pretty cool. But they're going to be ready in about a month. But I already have people hitting me up. Um, so if you are at all interested, just fire off. I'll even, like, discuss prices at this point. I don't really care. I just need rat money. That's where I'm at. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, if you're interested in one, Message me, Facebook, Instagram, and we'll go from there. Okay? So, yeah. All righty. So, now we're going to get on to the topic of the night. Um, so, we're not going to necessarily talk about, you know, do our typical pick a species, bring on a guest, discuss it. What we were going to talk about is just basically what it is to do this for a living. And Clint is definitely a good guy to talk to because he's living the dream and doing it. I've said that now like three times, but, you know. <laughs> He may at, might debate whether it's a dream yet, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so just kind of tell our listeners what, what the market looks like, what you define the market as, what are there different kind of facets to this infamous market mm-hmm. we always discuss? What is your viewpoint on that given, given the fact you're running Metazotic? Yeah, no problem, man. So, you know, I... I want to premise this, um, really the rest of this episode, uh, with, with something I feel is pretty important. And that's when, you know, we're going to be talking about this hobby as a business, we're going to be talking about dollars and cents here, right? And I just want to make sure, and I, I think our listeners know by now as often as they, they listen to us, but I take this hobby very seriously and, mm-hmm. and have my entire life. I love these animals. I love the interactions with them, the, the handling, the taking care of them. So just know as we talk about this as a business um, going forward that while, yes, I do get excited about business, I, I it is a passion of mine as well, um, the animals come first. Yep. And, and that's just how it goes. So I, I want everyone to know that. Uh, before, you know, as, as we answer questions and talks about it, maybe we go with this animal or don't go with this animal because of a financial reason. Um, it's, it all comes down to enjoying the animals, enjoying the hobby and wanting to advance it. And being able to do that full time means you need to have an income at the same time. So, yeah. okay. Um, so there, there's really, there's, I kind of break down our hobby into, three segments, but it could be broke down into probably four. Um, the three segments that I really operate in all at the same time, 
First, you have your online sales, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be where the majority of, I think, breeders fall into. Um, and that's what I've really been my entire life, right? Um, the second is going to be the, the, the trade shows, the reptile shows, okay? And that's going to be where I think you start getting a combination of breeders and kind of, I don't know if we call it, I don't want to say flippers. That's just such a negative derogatory term, but, um, those who, who do make a living doing this, right. Cause it's not always just their own animals. So you see a little bit more of a mix there, right. And then you have the retail environment, uh, which that's the newest piece, you know, that I've entered and the, the retail for the most part, um, for most people, that's full on. They just get the animals in. Most retail, you know, reptile sellers aren't producing their own animals, um, you know, for, you know, in that segment. And then the fourth would be wholesaling. You know, okay. that's something different too. I, I would say that, but that's not really an area that I'm involved with other than there's times I, I will purchase, you know, like that. Um, so each one of those segments, they overlap, but they are different. And understanding that sometimes you're building one while you have another one just kind of sitting on the pot, right? Yep. Um, you know, then there's times you'll make a move with a certain animal that will boost, you know, all of them or two of them or, or whatnot. Um, and, and, you know, some of the examples I'll give on that online, Asian rat snakes sell like crazy. Really? Asian, yeah, absolutely. Asian rat snakes, um, colubrids move quite a bit online for me, you know, all in. And then I will say that does overlap significantly with the trade shows because uh, at the reptile shows, that's one of the things that makes us different. Um, I mean, let's face it. We know what we see. 75% of a show is going to be ball pythons. Um, yeah. Another, <laughs> Maybe another... <laughs> 10% of it's going to you know, maybe be boas, cresties, and that kind of thing. Um, and so there's not always a, a lot of colubrids in the first place, but especially when you start getting, I don't want to say rare colubrids. You know, they're, these are going to be things people have heard of. Mandarin rat snakes, bamboo rat snakes, um, even the gray bands, but they may not have seen them in person. You know, so they're, it's familiar. They're beautiful. Um, but they, this is, you're different because you've got them on the table, you know, that that's that piece as well. And then retail, man, (laughs) that that's been a a big learning experience, you know, for me. Um, I remember, and it's funny because like our zoom ed rep, you know, I'm sure he'd chuckle at me whenever I said it, but originally he was wanting us to purchase a lot of the, um, like fluorescent style UV bulbs. And we're like, nah, nah, not enough people use those. <laughs> How wrong I was. Right. Um, you know, and I, I didn't think there was nearly the lizard um, market in, in my area. This area here is very, very heavy with ball pythons. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'll, I, I now, as of two weeks ago, have finally matched it where, cause I, I, I'm looking at this all the time. I'm, I'm breaking down the reports and looking at the financials and what's doing what. And as of two weeks ago, colubrids 
are about $800 ahead of ball pythons year to date yeah. in sales. <laughs> so I, I say that and now I'm hatching out a ton of ball pythons. So yeah. it, it's going to, you know, there's going to be some movement, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy about that. It, it's growing up. That's where it was. It was all clubbers around mm-hmm. here now. No, but the thing that's crazy is it, the reason I know there's there's such a strong lizard market here, you know, and that type of piece. I also track my feeder rodent sales mm-hmm. and feeder insect sales, and I match them up week over week. I like to see the trends. I like to be able to go back. That's one thing I'm going to tell anyone in any business whatsoever. The more you put your data points in a visual format and you track trends, not just, oh, we did good this month or we did bad this month, your trends. And if I have a good month, I want to go back and know why. If I had a bad month, I want to go back and know why. Where was it? And what we're seeing in feeders, not only, I mean, last week, yeah, last week was our, our highest feeder week ever. And it wasn't like just some big spike. It just keeps steadily moving, you know, up and up and up. But believe it or not, I sell just as much. Like year to date, there's maybe only a $300 difference. for, And we're seven months in, you know, right? There's a $300 difference in feeder rodent sales and insect sales in the shop. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I mean, I would have never guessed that. At the beginning, you know, when we first started this and it's amazing. I I mean, you know, how popular that that really is. And it's exciting to be honest with you. You know, it's one of the reasons that we we talk about our love for colubrids on here is because we love the variety. Right. We love how many there are and all the different flavors that you can, you know, you can bring on, right? Exactly. And I'll I'll tell you, that's one of the things retail has done for me is it's opened my eyes even more. Uh, You know, it's the, the frogs are neat. The tortoises are fun. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, I never realized the strength in a chameleon's claws, you know, in their little pads. When they hook your finger, you realize why they never fall out of a tree. <laughs> you know, it, it's insane. Uh, we This week, we just got uh, some red Ackies are in now. Nice. And I mean, oh, God, yeah, loving them. Um, but, but that's, again, that's what the retail side has done for me um, in, in terms of my appreciation for the hobby even more. And I'm glad it's done it when it's done it, <laughs> because mm-hmm. if you're on social media, which all of us are who are listening to this mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Right now, there's a lot of drama in the hobby. Oh, my God. It's disgusting. It, it is. <laughs> it is. And so I'm glad that, I mean, it's things like that. Just getting to experience the animals to the degree that I get to on a day-to-day basis now. Um, really reminds me why we got into all that in the first place. Some, um, yeah, sorry about that, guys. My shop's still open Good. and I'm recording in my office. <laughs> <laughs> um, answer the phone, guys. There we go. So, um, so again, that piece is really neat. But to, to bring it back to business, um, 
the anyone who's looking to do this for a living, you need to decide what segment you really want to belong to or if you want to belong to multiple. Mm-hmm. And know that you are going to have some steep learning curves in whichever direction you go. And it's, I'm going to give some additional advice. Being good at breeding animals and loving the hobby is not enough. It's not enough. If you are new to the hobby, you do not need to get 60 animals before you've produced your first clutch. And this is coming from a guy who wants you to buy a lot of animals because it's how I make my living, right? Yeah. That's no. age advice that seems kind of nonsensical, but at the same time, I've definitely seen people do that. <laughs> well, and, and it's because you have to think each step. It's almost like someone who figures out how to break out of prison. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Then what? Yeah. Right? <laughs> then what? And so it's like, all right, you get a hold of these animals. You can breed them. And now you have, I'm just going to throw a number, you've got 150 babies. My first question is, do you have 150 tubs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Do you, do you have 150 spots for these babies? Do you have the feed, you know, the feeders to feed 150 babies every week? That's number two. And if you say yes and yes, fantastic. You're already ahead of the game compared to where a lot of people are that jump into this too rapidly, right? Yeah. But then the big one, and this is where I think for those of us who have done this a long time, it it saddens me, but we see it every single year. You see that person that's come in with such enthusiasm, Mm -hmm. who's loving it. They get all these animals and within three years, usually it's less, but within three years, they're out. They're getting rid of everything. They're selling it all. And it's because you produce all these babies, but you have no outlet. You you can't move them. You see online where these babies should be selling for $300 a piece, but you don't have that outlet to be able to move, you know, those babies or especially that number. And so that's where starting off slower the reason I felt I could take this leap is because of what we've built for years and years with the online presence, with the, you know, the name and the recognition at the shows. And, and, but I'll tell you something I didn't even consider. So when rebranding and going from Bartley reptiles previously to metazotics, because I didn't feel I you know needed my name on the building kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So when doing that, you know, we started the website and got everything rolling and I, would think that the website's popularity would just kind of happen overnight, right? It's all the people who knew the, no, even the like search engine optimization piece, which I'm still learning now. Mm -hmm. If you go online and you search Chinese King rat snakes, Bartley reptiles is still like the number one piece. (laughs) And and you know what I mean? Metazotics. No, Bartley reptiles doesn't have anything for sale over there. There's none of that, but it's still like a thing that says go to metazotic. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I've done. I I mean, so it's, it's, it's crazy. It's those little bitty pieces, but, but that's the, you know, the one thing in the beginning I would tell everybody is build your network, you know, find your, you need to have an online presence because that's where the bulk of your sales are going to be. 
you know, period. Yeah. Um, you need to have a <laughs> back burner outlet, and that's usually going to be a pet shop, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who does this already full time that, you know what, if when I need to move several animals, I give them a shout and yeah, you're not going to sell them for as much as you liked to, but it's not going to keep eating every week. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, you know, while that snake is with you or whatever it is you're producing while it's with you, it, it's not an asset. It's a cost, you know, it's an expense every single week until it's sold. Right. Yep. Um, those are, I know those sound like a bunch of negatives guys and that's not, it's just, this is advice for anyone who's starting. I don't think I don't think that's negative at all. I just think that's reality. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we, I, people have a tendency to romanticize things and then you get into the reality of it and you do have to have a logical plan and that's basically the logical plan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so the, you know, a few other pieces that I kind of want to throw out, and then we can kind of go into some of the bigger philosophy market pieces too. Mm-hmm. You become all of it. Yeah. You become the accountant. You become the travel agent. Mm-hmm. You become, you know, the, every decision is going to come through you whenever you make the step. Whenever you are breeding out of your basement, your expenses are extremely low. They really are. Um, once it moves to more of a retail setting and to, I guess to expand so everyone can visualize where, what we have here, the location we're in is about 9,000 square feet. It's kind of big, go big or go home, right? <laughs> so so 9,000 square feet. Um, our retail shop is about 3,200. We have about a 3,000 square foot breeding uh, side. And then the rest is like warehouse and rodent breeding. Um, and so luckily I'm able to do this all under one roof. Yeah. But what's crazy is as big as that sounds, it gets full a lot faster mm-hmm. than you think. You know, it really does. Um, but the reason I wanted to go with this is because my thought was I don't want to do one of those three that I mentioned before. I don't want to just be – I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. That's fair. Um, because if I was going to do just retail, everything I've ever heard is a pet store is a horrible business model. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and if you're – especially if you are wanting to do it from the animal side, dry goods, if you're cranking out dog food and cat food, yeah, there's – there's, I almost said it. but There is a pet store here locally – I'm not going to say the name. Um, I'm great friends with with the owner. Um, he comes and actually he'll send people to me. He purchases things here, but uh, it is a franchise mm-hmm. pet shop, and I know they're cranking over three million dollars a year through that store. And it's cat food, it's dog food, yeah. you know, it's all that. And he'll tell you that. Um, so, you know, is there there big money in it? Yes, but not whenever it's primarily the animal. Because you don't sell a whole lot of animals out of a retail shop. Also, where we opened, um, it's outside of the big city. It's not in the big city. And if it was going to be strictly retail, this is not where I would have opened. We're doing great here. Don't get me wrong. And I absolutely love our, our customer base. But from a business standpoint, I would have opened in a different spot. But what made sense here 
was it gave us the space at the right price to yep. be able to have our breeding operation uh, for the other two facets of the business, the trade shows and online. So um, that's where I, I would say pick what you, you know, what avenue you're going to want to be a part of and do as much research in that avenue as you can to try to make the best decisions you can and know that at best, 65% of your decisions are going to be the right ones. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of mistakes along the way. So that, that's, that's fair. Can, one, one quick thing I'd like to get out of the way is, um, in, and I got to be very careful how I say this. So there's this phrase that's popped up in the past five years, which is work-life balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, doing this, is there work-life balance? Is there not work-life balance? Getting this thing launched? I mean, you're obviously oh, doing gosh. well. It's, I will tell you, I, I made this move because the, the position I had previously had me on the road about four days a week. Okay. And I would spend at least a day and a half cleaning cages, feeding snakes, <laughs> and yeah. all that whenever I was home. So I, I missed a lot, you know. Yeah. And I've got three young children. I've got twin boys that are nine, a little girl that's six, and I wanted more time with them. So with this move, I'm home every night. Uh -huh. Um I now I work every Saturday where I didn't before. Um off every Sunday, but I do get to see them to put them to bed where I, you know, didn't have that before. Um, I've not got to be involved in as many things as I would have liked to yet, but we do like, I, I just brought on three new hires. Um, I want to say in about two weeks, I'm going to stop working six days and <laughs> finally take that down to five. Um, so that, that'll be, you know, one of the big difference makers right there. It's, but I, I, I knew what I was signing up for. Yeah. You know, I knew it wasn't going to be, a, okay, I'll do this for three months and then it'll be gravy train. No, no. You know, I, I knew the first year was going to be grueling. Um, and, you know, the second, we're still not going to be out of the woods, you know, type of thing. So th now the good thing is the family gets to come here at, yeah. at any point, right? So there's weekend. Now we try not to do it all the time because we don't want to burn the kids out on, you know, being here. Um, but they get to, you know, come in at any point. There's no reason that if, you know, if one of them is not at school one day or whatever, they, they're here with dad, you know, they, they can yep. hang out here. Um, so it's, I, I will say I probably have about the same, if not a little more family time than what I did with the, the previous job. Um, but in a way, it also feels like there should be a whole lot more because I'm home. Yeah. You know, because I'm here, it, it it stings even more when you're not at that thing that you should be <laughs> yep. at, right? Um, but it, it's, again, it's part of it. It's part of starting a business. And that's going to be true of, I think, just about any business that someone gets involved in. So No, wholeheartedly. But at the same time... Um, I mean, I'm not going to in any way, shape, or form belittle the family piece because that is a legitimate piece. Mm -hmm. But you also, obviously, there, there's got to be a bit of enjoyment going to work and seeing a chameleon. 
<laughs> oh, it's I, I have said this time and time again, and I wholeheartedly mean it. Wholeheartedly. There's times my eyes like you know how you can feel tired in your eyes at yeah. times. Mm-hmm. My eyes feel like that. There's times I wake up and I'm still tired, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh-huh. um, there's, you know, just on and on. But there has never been and there's not been a single week in really over a year because prior to opening the shop, I was working the the career that I had mentioned and every extra day was here for yeah. three months before opening it to get it open. Um, so from May of 22 to now, there's not been a single week that I've worked less than six days. And honestly, there's probably been at least half, if not three quarters, that was seven day weeks to some degree, you know, even if it's just three hours, you know, on one day or whatever, but there has never been a single day that I have walked into this building and not wanted to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I, I can't say that ever about anything else in my life, no matter how much I enjoyed anything else I was doing. I, I've never not wanted to be here. I, I I mean, it's, it feels good. Now there's times I look around and I'm thinking, Oh my God, there's so much to do. Yeah. But I never, you know, not want to walk in. And it mm-hmm. is, that's, that's the living the dream part. Yeah. There's still all the stress. There's still, you know, it, it's not, you know, uh, pina coladas and, you know, propped up feet on the beach here. But I don't think many people ever get to say that in their life. That, yeah. you know, for a full year of any job that mm-hmm. they've never woke up and not wanted to go that day. You know, right. so. yep. I know what you're talking about. I have that with teaching. Um, like when I, so I became the chair of my department, which meant I had to then I went from managing students as a professor to managing professors. Mm-hmm. I definitely like managing students more than professors. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but I, like you said, like I get bogged down with that admin crap. But uh, mm-hmm. the, and, and sometimes the students, let's be real, can be a pain in the ass. But that's the exception, not the rule. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think there's just something. Part of the reason why I asked the um, the work life balance question is I work with a lot of young people. And I get like hit with that a lot. And I know that you might argue that older generations or whatever, you know, we kind of had this like work, 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 work until you die attitude. And there's this kind of new thing. Like you got to have time. There's life outside of work. But when you're doing passion driven work, Uh there's a certain level, there's this weird fulfillment that's there. That's like a damn drug. And so like, I don't want to stop working on the crayfish or when I get like, I I'm here working on the animals at West Liberty. And then I hop in my car, drive home. I spend time with my wife and my son. They go to bed at about 10 o'clock every night. And then I am, I got to like pace myself because I can be a bit of a night owl. And then I get into my animals and the next thing you know, it's like one o'clock in the morning, but I'm not doing that because I like hate it. It's literally my way of decompressing. And then that's when my ideas come for everything. So I, I know that there's like, there's that piece with the business side too, which I, I wanted you to just kind of hit on and you did. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, and it's because I will say I can, I agree with it in both, both terms. It's don't give your life away to a corporation. No. You know, I, I was making that mistake and I will say that 
in the in the role that I had, um, I mean, I'd have upwards of 170, 180 people that would report to me. And when I say that, it, it's I, I was the, the leader of this you know massive team, and I loved it because I loved the people. Yeah, and I know that I made a, a, a positive impact in a lot of those lives because I still have messages daily from individuals, you know, from that. And I love them. I love them to death. I love those people. I mean, for 20 years, that's what I did. Um, but I will say I also had this false belief in my mind that there were those higher, you know what I mean, in the company that it really mattered to. And I mean, there's times you learn quick upon your exit that it's, you're gone, you know, that you're yep. mm-hmm. easily replaced, right? Um, and I'm not saying that there were never any of the, the superiors that I had that were wonderful people and same mm-hmm. thing. I still talk to them because of the impact they made in my life and, you know, as mentors. Um, but, you know, to to your point and to any young person out there, you know, listening, don't be afraid to work hard for what you want and what you believe in and what you want to do. Don't give your life away to someone else. If it's yours, do it. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean you have to own the company. It's whatever it is, whatever your thing is, you know, feel free to own that. Absolutely. Yeah, you are, you articulated that way better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's in complete agreement with you, man. Complete agreement with you. Yeah. So, so, I have one other question, just just kind of a fun question. Cause I, I've all, sure. I've been wondering this since you took this on. Mm-hmm. If you wouldn't mind, would you mind just discussing maybe like two things you thought would be part of this experience that ended up just not being part of the experience at all? And then two things that you were like, I'm never going to do that. And you're like, damn it, I'm doing this like every freaking day. Like yeah. basically – because you don't know until you do. Like you No, know. no, you're absolutely right. I, I will say, you know, one of the I never thought I would do, it's I've kind of mentioned here and I mentioned earlier, the bugs. I, <laughs> I, I never thought the bugs would be what they are. I never thought that I'd be counting roaches. <laughs> I, I never thought that I, I can sit here and talk to you about banded crickets like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I, I mean, I know the difference between them and European house crickets. I know why they're better for your animal. I know that. I mean, so it, it's the bugs. Really, I, I, I'm floored. I, I'm hornworms. I'm <laughs> learning how to hatch out silkworms and do. I mean, so it's just you know <laughs> that that part is a piece I, I never thought would be there, but uh, it, it's interesting and. And I'll even take that further into inverts. I mean, yeah. um, I think we have 25, maybe 30 different colonies of um, isopods going, you know, and I never, I mentioned on another episode how excited I get, you know, watching them in the bios. Um, but we now have, I've got several tarantula species and I still don't touch the tarantulas. <laughs> And it's not that they creep me out. It's just not my thing. You yep. know, it's mm-hmm. not my thing. I'm not like Ugros, whatever. Yeah. But I, I don't want to take a hit by one. I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah. I don't want to find out how bad or not bad it is. I'm good, you know. Um, but I still have developed a great respect getting to watch them, their behaviors, yeah. watch the way this species does their web where, you know, this one, it's you have a pet hole, a pet hole in yeah. the dirt because that's all you're ever going to see. 
the audience can't see it. This is my pet hole. So, right? so you know what I'm talking about, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you say that about tarantulas today. Uh, there's about 10 inches of soil in there. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's a, um, zebra, or a Costa Rican zebra knee tarantula. Nice. And um, one of my students, he's actually coming over to grad school. We're going to do his thesis on that species. But um, I said, like, set this up, Zach. And I knew I wasn't going to see her. And today, she's been in that tank for four days. Or not four days, four months. Today was the first time I saw her. And she was out roaming around. And I actually thought, like, what the hell's wrong with you? I can see you. Go back in your hole. Like, <laughs> you know, I know exactly what you're about. Anyway. <laughs> oh, cool. But, but that's definitely, that'd be one of the spots that I never thought, you know, was going to be a big thing. Um, and it, it certainly is. Um, let's see. So go back to the question. What is it that I thought would be a big thing and wasn't? That was another aspect of it, right? Oh, let's see. I thought, see, and a lot of this is, I'm, I'm trying to not do all of it animal directly related. Yeah. Leopard geckos on the retail side. I thought would be a big thing and maybe they are elsewhere, but here, um, they don't, you know, I, I barely sell any of them. So, um, you know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, you know, on my part. Um, let's see a, another piece. I never realized how much money I would be spending on shipping. Really? Mm -hmm. And not just, I was very familiar with the overnight out shipping, you know, but the amount you pay in shipping to get things to you, you know, when it comes to freight, when it comes to um, pieces like that, you know, you have a big warehouse and you're like, okay, you know, I can uh, handle all this stuff. But then, for example, if you don't have a fork truck, you're paying an extra $150 per shipment for a truck with a lift gate instead of having a fork truck that can pick it up. You know, little it's those kind of little nuances. Um, there'll probably be more that comes to me as I as I think about that. Um, let's see, something else big that I didn't expect. Um, the The wide variety and need when it comes to habitats to be carried, Um, there's, again, you're coming from a guy that, you know, it was always, it was either racks or, you know, four foot cages kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's, I didn't need anything else for any other reason. Everything I had was going to do well in one of those, right? Um, But the... The, the different types of ventilation, the, the, the heights, the, the widths, you know, glass versus PVC versus ABS versus, you know, all of this. Uh, so that was a piece that was, was fairly new for me to, to learn. And I mean, it's absolutely one of the largest segments, you know, of the retail side, uh, hands down. Um, and the, I'll tell you the most complicated piece that I didn't anticipate. Yeah. And it's only complicated in the beginning. But UVB from a snake guy, Uh I I mean, learning the, you know, you've got 7%, 12%, 14%, you know, shade dwelling 2 to 3%. It's, um, okay, T5, T8s, what the hell are those, right? You know, (laughs) high output. It's Mm -hmm. all of this, you know, that was, that took a little bit. You know, now I look back and I'm like, oh, well, that that was easy. 
Uh, but no, you know, in learning the species and yep. getting to explain that to everyone where, okay, yes, it needs UV, but think about it. It's, it's in a jungle forest. It's under a canopy the majority yep. of the time, you know? And so explaining why it needs less because, you know, they think, you know, rainforest, hot, it's sunny. It's, you know, yeah, but the UV is not hitting, you know, that type of thing. So, um, so that was a piece that, you know, certainly wasn't, I didn't expect to, in my own ignorance, is, you know, flat out. It's anyone who had a bigger view of reptiles than what I did, meaning I was just such a snake heavy guy, you know, would have certainly known better, but you live and learn. You know? That's one of my, UV is one of my favorite um, mm-hmm. things to, to watch somebody kind of just learn a little bit about, and I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are in the snake world. If you're in the turtle world, like you said, turtle world, lizard world, um, even the dart frog world, uh, you, you know, those communities, UV is a thing. You're learning about it. But the snake world, we have always, as an overall community, not everyone, been like, oh, well, the science says you don't need it, so we don't need it, so move on. But mm-hmm. when, when I teach my herpetoculture class, for the undergrads and then the grad level one, which is even more intense, I spend, Jesus, God, there's probably six hours of me talking about UV. Like, mm-hmm. we, do, we do the light, we do like the pragmatic side, which is what, you know, what the light bulb, um, what the six and the 12 and the 14 actually mean, and like how to do that, we look at the, we get out uh, spectrometers or, and, you know, use the or solarometer, sorry, and, and, and check it at various levels. I have a lab where we do that. Um, but it's always fun when I teach that class because there's, I, you know, thanks to the podcast and mm-hmm. everything else, I attract snake people to our program and I'll do the UV and there's always that kid that just does this giant eye roll like, oh God, we're talking about UV. And, then he actually learns about UV as a snake guy because he's forced to in my class. You're going to mm. fail if you don't. And then he comes out the other end, or she, or they, and then they basically go, there might be something to this. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. literally, like when I was out catching those hognose snakes, uh, we're doing, like, I was, I was, every time I caught the snake, I had my solar, or uh, my UV reader, I took the UV where they were, and I'll just say this for hognose snakes. I can't say this for any other snake. Somewhat interesting that every time I found a hognose snake, the UV level was above five. Wow. I never found one when it was below five. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, that they need the UV. But when it was super cloudy out, we didn't get them. As soon as, like, sun would peek out, boom. Now, it could just be the heat. It could be some of the UV. So, I just think Interesting. It's- that's very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very neat. But anyway, <laughs> that's funny. Um, so is there any other philosophical thing that you would like your our listeners to hear or anything else? Like your perspective has changed from beginning to end now that we're just over a year in. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, – how about we move like this and I'll see kind of what it sparks because, sure. you know, I, I'm moving to tangents sometimes when – I go on this kind of topic. So I'm going to, I'm going to bounce between the three and think, uh, and and give some, like some tips, some learning, you know, if you're going to go into this segment of it, 
hear things you need to know, things you need to do, maybe things not to. Um, and some of it's going to be sales oriented for everyone. Okay. Um, and I guess part of the background that I, I need to give to that is in my previous life, um, you know, previous <laughs> role, my main function was traveling across the country, store to store, teaching the leadership team how to operate their business, the numbers, the dealing with people, um, and not just customers, but dealing with their people, you know, how to keep their team, you know, engaged, how to deal with conflicts, things like that. But I also did a lot of sales training. Now, when I say sales training, I want everyone to understand it's not about making people buy something that, that I've never believed in that. That's not who I am. Instead, I understood that in most retail environments, not always in, in hours in the pet trade, but in most retail environments, when someone walks in and, and okay, when you walk into to a, any retail shop and someone says, can I help you find anything? How do you respond, Zach? I usually do a heavy sigh. And then if I need their help, I say, sure. And if I don't, I say, yeah, I'm okay. Most are, I'm just looking. Yeah. Right. That, that's what, that, that's the most common response. And even if you are going to need help, that's usually still your first response yep. because you want that moment to try to figure it out yourself. Exactly. Then if you can't, you know, it's like, we're weird. Human beings are weird. It's like oh, when you go to a friend's house and they ask you if you want something to drink, the first time they ask you, you always say no. The second time they ask you, that's when you get something. I don't know why yeah. we do shit like that, but that's just how we are. So for me, I always had a firm belief that what sales really was, was you had to get someone into a position where they were comfortable enough for you to educate them on whatever the product is that they were there to learn about in the first place, right? Yeah. And so, and I say that because if you think back to, here you go, teachers, right? Yeah. Um, and so for, for your listeners, whether it's college, whether it's high school, whatever, if you think back to, for me, you know, I want to say high school, who was the most brilliant teacher in that building? The, the most intelligent, the one that, that that person's a genius. And you can think of that person. But then if I would say, were they your favorite or were they the teacher that you learned the most from? You're probably going to say no and you're going to tell me another one. And the reason is, is because it doesn't always matter how damn smart you are. It matters how you can relay that information in such a way that it is received by the others. Okay. So it's not always what you're saying. It's how you say it. Yep. So, so that's why I believe that for sales, it's just getting someone comfortable enough with you that when you do educate them, they can then make the most informed decisions for themselves on whether this product is right or wrong. Um, so where so much of my understanding of that came from, it wasn't from courses, it wasn't from classes, it was simply asking myself how I react to this yeah. shit. It, it's, yep. you know, being honest with yourself. Why do you do the things you do? Why do you not do the things you do? Because most people are doing or not doing them for the same reasons. Mm -hmm. So, okay. For that long spiel there, now we'll bring it back. Um, reptile shows. Okay. Mm -hmm. Some do's and don'ts for everyone for reptile shows. One, be clean. Oh yeah. Okay. Let's start there. Your appearance, you don't have to be a beautiful person. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but what you have to be is approachable. Yeah. You, you want to be that. You need to smile. You, you need, you know, people need to feel comfortable talking to you if you want to be very successful, you know, at an inner, because that's a very face to face interaction, right? Um, and they're looking at a lot of different faces. 
And so you have usually a small window and by small window, six to eight feet of your table to, you know, engage and actually make them feel comfortable with you. So, so that's one. If you're going to do a show, present yourself. You are your brand. You are your brand. I don't care what you've named yourself. I don't care how good your snakes look. You are your brand at the end of the day. There's one. Number two, if you're listening to the show, there's a good chance that you're going to be selling colubrids. <laughs> yeah. So with that in mind, know your demographic. Colubrid keepers, they like to shop deli cups. They do not like to shop or prefer not to shop display cases. And it's, it's not that colubrid keepers have less money. It's nothing like that. Understand there's not a, a financial demographic I'm discussing here. It's a psychological demographic, yeah. right? And for colubrid keepers, if you have your animals in a display case, you've spent a decent amount of money on that display case, you're probably charging a little more for your animals, that seems to – and it's funny because people who are listening to this right now are probably thinking, I've never thought that. But now that I think about it, I think I, it's probably, <laughs> you know, subconsciously have thought yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one. Number two, having them in deli cups, Calibri keepers like to pick them up and see them closely. They want yeah. to inspect them like that. And as, as someone at a show, I don't want to keep opening up display cases and having squirmy little milk snakes flinging poop everywhere. You know, it, it, this it's the best for the animal in this situation, as well as for the, the seller and the buyer to be able to view this animal um, up close. Number three, if you're doing delis, have nice delis. Have them clear. Have them clean. You know, take care of it. Lay your table out in a presentable manner. Don't clutter it too heavy. A completely full table with stacked delis is hard to look at. You can't see everything and, and you just, you don't want to spend a lot of time having to dig through, you know, it's, it's like going through like, you know, a, a box of books at an old bookstore mm-hmm. through. that that's not what we're wanting to do in this. So, you know, present it like that, engage, say hello to everyone. Um, on the flip side, if you are selling ball and, and a lot of us, myself included, sell ball pythons and colubrids, you know, at the same show, my ball pythons and boas are in display cases because that demographic (laughs) wants to feel, and it's funny because they want to feel that the animal they're buying is investment quality, right? They want to feel like they're going to be able to get it, breed it and make money off of it. That's just, that's what the the ball python market is for the most part. Let's just call it like it is, right? Nothing wrong with it. Okay. Um, but they also want to see a discount on the price. <laughs> so it's funny that they want it in a display case because in a deli cup, then it, they feel like it's a throwaway animal for some reason, you know, so I don't do ball pythons and deli cups. Um, but if I'm going to, I don't just change the price. Meaning if, if an $800 snake is getting marked down to 700, I don't just wipe the 800 and write seven. I'm going to put a line through 800 and write seven underneath it because that's what it is. Now, Colubrid people, that's not a big deal to them. Trust me. I've done that and it's like, eh, you know, they they don't care what it's on. The price is the price. It doesn't matter what that number was above it. So it's it's just really neat and from – I'm big into psychology. I love it. And so 
Clint. <laughs> yeah, it, it's seeing this from people. It's very intriguing to me and very neat. So, um, so, so that's what I'd say. Um, have make sure that you do have business cards. Stickers are so popular at trade shows, and I'm not going to tell you that. Yeah, and and I'm not going to tell you you're going to have all kinds of people beating down your doors because of these. But truthfully, if even. Uh, if you have three sales come out of all the money you spend on stickers and cards, they paid for themselves, you, yep. you know, easily, very easily. And it's a good way for people to start recognizing the name. Um, they start looking for you, you know, at these shows. Um, so, so at the trade show, there's some, some tips for everybody. Online. Pictures, pictures, pictures. That is what does it. And it's not just the number of pictures you take. Take good quality pictures. And I know how frustrating that is when it comes to baby colubrids. There's time. I, I have uh, the guy that uh, our animal care specialist, he'll be back there cleaning cages and he knows I'm taking pictures because he can hear me cussing and yelling, you know, because it's just, oh, just 10 seconds. I just need 10 effing seconds, right? You know, just, just please. Um, Get yourself very, you know, angles and practice, you know, get your lighting, go back and forth and you need to change it sometimes. Animals with yellows, you know, they, they need different lighting than animals with whites and with, with reds and things like that. So, um, you know, get a feel for it. But I'll tell you, that's when people are buying something online, they're not buying the name of the animal. They're buying what they see. That, yeah. that, that comes to it. Um, there's, there's another breeder locally that we would joke about their – a particular uh, morph of ball python that they're known for that people would say, man, you have the absolute best of this morph. And he and I had laughed and go, really, they're no different than anybody else's. Just take really good pictures. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, and, and that, that, that's what it is. Um, so take really good pictures and funnel. You have to have a funnel point, hmm. whether that is your website, which I strongly recommend whether it's your morph market, which is going to be great if that's what you're using, I understand. But understand that when you funnel to morph market, you're funneling to a sales platform that everybody else is on too, right? Um, but again, I love morph market. Nothing, no wrong, no problems there. Um, or your Facebook or your Instagram. You need to have a place where the animals you have available can be seen. One centralized place. So everything else you do, whether it's passing out your business cards, whether it's um, posting on social media, whether it's giving you know plugs on a podcast that you co-host every couple of weeks, right? <laughs> it, whatever you want to have a centralized place that you're sending people all to be able to see what it is that you have available. You know, for me, it's the website. That's where I, I kind of shove everything and, and everyone. Um, and that's what I try to keep the most up to date. That, that's, you know, all of it uh, right there. I may post new things and cool things on the Facebook page, but then I'm saying they're available, metazotics.com, right? Um, so you need to have that centralized point. And that goes back to what we spoke on earlier, building your network. This is where you start to build that network and where you can move for lack of a better term here, your product, whatever your product may be. Um, have fun with it. Yeah. You know, online, it's you will have better luck selling online if you are active on social media to some degree. 
I'm going to tell you, you can have different different takes on this, um, on how you want to be portrayed on social media. Yeah. Um, and it's, you can be the Elon Musk that says whatever they want and you're going to have people that love you and people that hate you. Um, you can be the kind of individual that you, you never say anything that could be, you know, offensive to anyone and that can be fine too. Uh, personally, the, the way I like to take it is if I'm directly asked a question, I will give my honest opinion on it. Um, but I also know that I can give my opinion on just about anything without having to negatively speak about someone yeah. else um, and you know say whatever it is I need to in a respectful manner. And I don't avoid drama because I think it'll hurt my business. I avoid it because I don't have time for it. No, it's, no it doesn't interest me. Um, you know, I'm not going to say I'm above sitting on the toilet and reading a dumpster fire, you know, that's going on, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm not going to, yeah, I, I'm not going to chime in. I don't need to. And, and I'll tell you what, a, a lot of the drama that goes on, especially here recently, I like both there, you know, there's like, yeah. if there's two people arguing, I'm friends with both of them. So I just let it, you know, let them do their thing, you know, and, and whatnot. But, um, have a social media presence because that's where people will recognize your name a lot more. Uh, well, you just mentioned, uh, what was it? Russ Gurley. Yeah. And that, the whole reason I know his name is social media, you know, you and, and, and things like that. So, um, um, retail. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you're going to open up retail, um, with, with animals, I could sit here and say all the things that you, everyone would tell you when it comes to them. You're, you're going to have, it's, it's never ending. You don't just get to stock a shelf and forget about it. It doesn't work that way. These things eat, they poop, they drink, you know, they live, they die. So it's a constant moving, you know, piece. The things that you may not think about, how good are you with people? Yeah. Not animals, but people. How good are you with the public? A lot of them are great. Not all of them, right? And some are going to be very frustrating for you. Some are going to be rude. And, and some of those frustrations is not even because they're rude. It's you try, you get to a point where, okay, I've said it four different ways. I'm not sure <laughs> what other way I can explain this, right? Um, there's... So, so that's the first part is you're going to be dealing with the public in – at a trade show, you're dealing with them for about six hours one day. You can manage that. You know, We can get through it. In retail, it's every day. It's all day every day that you're doing that. So you have to ask yourself if that's something you can handle. But the other part is you cannot do it all alone. Yeah. So eventually you are going to have other people working for you. How good are you at that? Yeah. How good are you at, I, I don't, I've always avoided the word manager. I, I'm not the biggest fan of that. Um, you manage a business, you lead people. Yep. You know, that, that's, that's my belief on it. And you, part of leading people is always respecting them. That's the one thing, anybody who comes on board here, our very first conversation, I, I tell them, there's going to be times where I praise you very heavy. There are going to be times where 
I have to correct either an action or a behavior, you know, of yours. That's part of my role within the company. But I promise you, either one of those that I'm doing, you will be treated with respect the entire time. You know, I don't have to cuss. I don't have to yell. I don't have to call you names. I don't have to insult you. None of that happens. Um, and so you have to ask yourself, can you handle that? Because this is a type of business that there's a lot to learn. You may processes, those are easy, but when someone walks in off the street and wants to know how to take care of a crested gecko, that's something that you have to teach someone to be able to repeat and teach someone. <laughs> and that's just one species. You know, everything about a crested gecko. What about a redfoot tortoise? What about dart frogs? What about a bearded dragon? What about this bamboo rat snake? What's different from that and the, this ball python? What kind of ball python is that? What, you know, all these, there, there's so much to learn that if you aren't good with people, you're going to be endlessly teaching that because you're going to have people endlessly in and out, you know, and you can't hold them. So, that's one of the biggest things that I will say to anyone who loves animals and wants to open a quote unquote pet store. It's okay. You're great with animals. How good are you with people? That, that's, that's yeah. the next question. It's, it's funny you say that. Cause I say the exact same thing to our students. Cause we, with Zusai, I, I hear it all the time. And it's funny because they only say it when they're freshmen and then they know not to say it anymore, which is like, well, I'm working with animals cause I hate people. And I'm like, yeah, but you're going to work in a zoo, which is a people-facing mm-hmm. enterprise. So you you can't just blow the people off. Um, you know, we go so far as that we have a class we call zoo education. And what it really is, is it's like just basically getting introverts to communicate with the public. That's, it, that, that's what it really equilibrates to. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will... When it comes to the the business as a whole, and again, my mind kind of runs everywhere. I have a board I'm looking at right now that I have it broken down into three sections. And it drives me nuts because it seems like the list never gets shorter. But there's a sales section, a margin section, and an organization section. And each one of those, so for sales... There's all these ideas and things that we're creating that will generate income, bring more money into the store, right? There are margins where these ideas and these projects, they won't necessarily bring any more money in. What they will do is help us retain the money that's already coming in. So they will lower our expenses. Quick examples of each of these, um, one of which I have um, our bio class, I've, I think I may have mentioned this before, yeah. where we put on a class um, where we teach individuals how to create bioactive enclosures. Um, that's one that it's been in the works for a while. I need to finish it up because people keep asking me for it. And they'll either, one, have a complete bioactive enclosure to take with them you know, when done, or at least they've sat through and learned the process and, and what that looks like. So that would be a sales generating one of the margins, um, mouse room finished. I've got a room <laughs> on the other side of this, which is drywalled, mudded. I still need to finish sanding, get it painted, uh, put the flooring down. And then we can basically, we would be doubling our rodent production, which causes me to have to pr- um, purchase fewer rodents, you know, or any at all at that point. So margins, you know, yeah. then, you know. Um, and then we have organization. What organization is for 
there are pieces that it won't necessarily create more sales and won't necessarily, it, it could, it can influence them, uh, but it won't necessarily lower our margins either. But it's things that will streamline processes within the store and within the organization uh, to to help us just move forward. Um, one of those I have, let's see, backstock shelving organized. Uh, my vision for that is I have shelves in the back that are the exact same shelving as what we have on the retail floor. I want those segmented to where uh, everything on this one, um, I'm sorry, one side of the shelf, for example, our heat bulbs, our heat mats, our you know UV, all that's on one side here on the floor. I want that just like that in the back. You won't have it, you know, it's not going to look the same because I don't need that much back stock of everything, but it's in the same area. So you know exactly where to go back there to be able to stock what's up front. Little things like that. It's just going to streamline processes and and help us out. So the the better you can organize um, what you're doing, the better off you're going to be. And that's really retail, online, or trade shows. You know, organization is going to be your key there. Um, have a vision, you know, visualize what it is you want, know the difference between a goal and a vision. Um, a a goal is, you know, something to be achieved. It's, you set smaller goals to get somewhere. Your vision is much bigger, much broader. And it's, it's something you, everything you do is to get you there. So I like that. Now this has been fun because I, as a scientist, never get to think about this stuff, but I think about it more than I realize. (laughs) (laughs) it's all intertwined it really is i mean it's because whether it's business whether it's science whether it's you know breeding this animal selling this animal so much of it has that one thing in common that we just mentioned and it's people and and so when you really break that down to to its core and and how we think and what we do it, it makes so much more of this make sense and why it all is really intertwined cool well i have one more question yeah. And it's kind of fun because we get to flip the script on one of us. Mm. So we always ask our guests, so <laughs> what do you think the future of herpetoculture is? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it ugly? And now that you're literally living, breathing, sleeping, eating herpetoculture, what's your perspective on that? And I think... Him this either. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. I, I'm not prepared. So <laughs> I will say I think the future of the the hobby is, and this isn't a cop out. I'll go out, I'll go deeper into it. It's going to be what we make it. Oh, I believe okay. that. We I like that. always talk about the, you know, the, the powers that be, whether that's different legislation, mm-hmm. you know, whatnot coming down and being a problem. But at the end of it all, I mean, so much of it, we bring on ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, it, we may say, well, I don't. We're part of this. We're in this together. Every, you know, it, We have those that um, are horrendous with their animals, and so many people know it, yet they still have buyers you know, all, all the time. You know, you've got that kind of thing. You have where individuals have, I mean, what, cobras and, and whatnot getting loose and – That looks horrible on all of us. So a lot of the legislation that gets passed, yeah, it's uneducated legislation, but it's also because one of us probably did something stupid 
that got the attention of that uneducated legislator. <laughs> you know, um, you do have big organizations that come against us as well. I, I get that. Well, we have organizations that the more organized we get, the better we can fight that. So that that's one big piece I'll say to it. I will tell you the thing that's going to take us down faster than any of that BS is our own internal squabbles. It, 100%. It's, yes. I, I mean, it's divide and conquer, guy, and we are being divided constantly. You know, it, it's we make jokes and cracks about ball pythons here. Mm-hmm. But we still enjoy them. I mean, I st- there's so many. My favorite people at the shows are a lot of the ball python breeders. You know, it's, it's so it's okay to have fun. <laughs> it's like it's okay to tease your little brother, but yeah. nobody else can mess with them. You, you know <laughs> what I mean? And we, we need more of that. <laughs> we, we need more of that respect, you know, with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but as far as the future, it's going to continue to grow. We still have Steve Irwin to thank for that, Jeff Corwin mm-hmm. to thank for that. They created um, uh, Mark O'Shea. You yep. know, they created a generation that wasn't nearly as afraid of snakes, afraid of reptiles. They saw them as something neat and cool. And I mean, we have so many more herpetologists in the world because of them that it's it's going to continue moving. I think we mentioned this in a previous episode where I think it was 2021. It's 2020 or 2021 where the number of reptiles in uh, the U- in U.S. households finally surpassed the number of cats and dogs in yeah. U.S. households. Now, again, like I said, there's a lot of us who have 200 of them in our basement, so we're skewing the odds, right? But um, but it's going to continue going in that direction. You know, the days of dogs and cats and, and, and all that being the only go-to is no more. So while we will continue to have battles, we will continue to have people that are pushing, you know, against the hobby, there there's still people pushing against dogs and cats. You know what I mean? So it's just, no, that's never going away. Um, but as long as we act right, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we do the things we're supposed to do. It's going to continue to grow. Um, I think that we will see an increase in the type of species that are more commonly seen, meaning I'm already seeing colubrids really spike, you know, mm-hmm. more and more. Um, and I think that we're going to see a broader scale. I, give it maybe another, all right, you heard it here first. We'll see how smart I am, right? I'd say maybe another 12-ish years and that ball python market at the shows may be reduced to about 50%. And what I mean is 50%, which is still 50%, yes. But compared to the 75 you're seeing now, um, having that shifted out, it's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. Um, And I think that's going to continue to happen now. As far as new species being added, there's a lot of countries that the the exports are being put down, stuff like that, um, you know, and they're closing up. So I don't know what the next big thing is going to be. I've been asked that before. What's the next big thing? Um, I know there's certain animals that are trending higher here lately. Hognose being one yeah. of them. Um, there's actually data to prove that um, mm-hmm. that it's it's really spiking, but the the hobby is it's not going anywhere. It's yeah. you're going to have states 
that it's a problem in, but it's here to stay. It's like anything else. It's once it's this entrenched, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to grow. What direction it grows, I don't know. It's like you know, squeezing putty. It, yeah. You don't know which knuckle it's going to shoot out between, but it's just going to keep moving. So very cool. No, I couldn't agree more with your statement. That's actually the exact way I feel. So you could consider that statement if you're listening. Colubrid and colubroids. Colubrid and colubroids viewpoint. I think that we without question, will either be our greatest asset or our worst enemy. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, was, um, I was flying home from Costa Rica, and I got delayed in the Newark airport. And, you know, I'm already kind of in a funk. And I distinctly remember, got back in the States, and I'm just doom-scrolling, you know, on Facebook. I think it was Facebook. And I got into some, you know, it was definitely Facebook. I got into some reptile group and there was a post and I'm paraphrasing, but it was just like, it was something to the effect of, there's just so much drama in the reptile hobby. Why do you think that is? And, and you know, saying there's so much drama in the reptile hobby, and, and like you, I'm a very, very busy guy. I'm not doing this for any kind of interpersonal, I'm just going to use the word, bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this because I like the animals. I like to nerd out on the locality crap. I like the science. You know, everybody that listens knows my perspective. But I literally thought this post is the problem because we're literally the, the topic of conversation in this group that's supposed to focus on whatever it was. I don't know what group it was. It's like just basically gossiping about well, what's mm-hmm. the cost, what's the cost. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and when you're doing that, you're just adding gasoline. And Outside onlookers will see that, and they're going to basically be like, "What is this place? Like, what? Yeah. They're eating their own? Like, what the hell? Like, that's mm-hmm. the topic of discussion." And then you go to another group, and it's you know, this is a, a forks flying gopher snake, and some. I, I've read this one recently. What exactly does that mean? And then, oh, well, that's a, the guy named it the guy that breed it. They came from here, da, da, and it was like twelve messages and. You're a thread of conversation and there's education and there's geeking out and there's nerddom mm-hmm. and there's community. And like, it basically boils down to which of the two are we going to be? And if you are, are, are living off of a, I don't know if you need to have a place here because you're just going to add more crap to the table. But if you're like part of team B, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm good. And I just think we, we, and it's fine to have a beef with somebody. I've totally had beef with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like you said, how we curate ourselves really honestly matters. And I think that that's, 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 I mean, that's just important. And I've said a million times on multiple podcasts, I'm a conservation biologist. I, I hear the people that are making the regulations perspective of like what a reptile person is. And it's, and, and I, I, and, and not all of them think we're bad. And some of them are us. That's the thing people don't realize. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just like, do we want that to be the front facing part of our, 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 our discipline, our community that we love so much or, or, or what to just be the, be the voice for good. And I'll be, that's all we can hope to do. And that's one of the things we do with our podcast. I know that for sure. Part of the reason why I wanted to do our podcast was I, I wanted there to be basically a counter to that negativity. That's always kind of present. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell you, for those listening that I was just talking to Zach before we started, 
Um, I, I mean, just today, two messages that brought up the podcast yeah. and, and how much they enjoyed it. And, and here lately, just, uh, I mean, uh, over the past maybe six weeks specifically, there have been a lot of messages. Now, it may have been coincidental in that, you know, there are animals that these individuals have been interested in. So they had a reason to reach out and mention it, you know, at the same time. But I've had so many people mention the podcast and um, that's a wonderful feeling, guys. Yeah. That's that's so awesome to hear up? it. You know, it's <laughs> so, so yeah. cool. And, and it, you know, let us know what you want on future episodes. I know we need to have a King Rat episode. I'm ready. <laughs> so many people ask for Carinata. Um, I was actually walking down a road in Costa Rica and I heard like the ding, the ding, the ding. And I was like, oh, I have cell phone signal. And it was somebody, you know, saying they love their podcast and they wanted the King Rat episode. And I, I right there in the middle of the jungle, I was like, we're going to make it happen for you, but I got to get out of this jungle first. So, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, like, Do give it us a, let us know what you want, what you don't want. I've said that before, but we really mean it. So. Do we want to mention the kind of question episode we were discussing earlier? Yeah, sure. Go for yeah. it. So one of the ideas that uh, we were tossing around earlier too, and, and this is where we need your help, guys. So I know that there are a lot of small or short or you know questions out there, um, topics that may not be enough for a full episode, not like not a full species. But what we would love is if you guys can send us any questions that you have, whether it, you know, it, it be about a, a certain type of animal, whether it be, you know, something that, you know, we answer in just a matter of sentences, whether it be about us, you know, kind of stuff, send those to us because we would like to do an episode where maybe that's what we're doing. You know, we're, we're answering, you know, this individual's question is this, and we can spend a few minutes going, you know, into that where, again, it may not be enough for an entire episode, but I just think that would be neat. Um, that came from the idea yep. for that came from the uh, Snakes and Stogies uh, podcast where it's a live podcast and there are comments and questions coming during the podcast. And, you know, Zach and I were talking and we just thought that it'd be neat to be able to just oh, kind of yeah. answer that, you know, for everyone. So if you're listening to this, please message Zach, message me. Uh, we would love to create an episode where it, it's really straight to the listeners what they're wanting to know and what they're wanting to hear. Exactly. And we and we might get our um, our Instagram, Facebook page back up again and, <laughs> and facilitate there. And we might even let you know, like, okay, here's the questions that we addressed in this episode. And that way, you know, you know what we did. But all right, man. Well, this was a good one. We got to bounce because Fight Club, Fight Club is recording in nine minutes, so <laughs> we're bottlenecking on uh, on our, our time here. But yeah, no, great job, Clint. I enjoyed hey. this. Fun. Thank you so much, Zach. I appreciate it, buddy. Always a great time. Yep, yep. All right. If you need to get a hold of me, um, uh, Doctor Crawdad on Instagram, Zach Lofman on Facebook. Uh, grad students, please reach out and if you want a false water cobra you're interested in a false water cobra please by all means simply message me and we can probably work something out um clint where can they find you uh you can check us out on metazotics.com uh, you can message me on facebook at metazotics um, or metazotics at gmail.com um, instagram metazotics llc and just as a reminder uh, we do offer our ccr 
uh, listeners, 5% off at metazotics.com. Just use your code CC Radio. There you go. Okay, so this has been another episode of Colubrid and Colubrid Radio. Uh, whatever time of day it is, I hope it's going well for you. And have a great one.